invite you to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be reading verses 14, 15, and 16 for our text this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Those verses read, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And our title, main theme of the message today will be the first words of verse 16. Let your light so shine. I don't know how many of you grew up with it, but as a child in the church that I grew up in, we grew up singing a little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. It brings back memories, it's biblical and it's scriptural, and certainly I'm thankful reflecting back upon that, that we had those biblical admonitions as children, both at home and church. So, let your light so shine. And we must begin with verse 14, with those first two words of our Lord, where he said, ye are. And I'd like to pause there. He went on to say, of course, you are the light of the world. But let's just think about the emphasis of those two words, ye are. And we could reverse that into a question, what are you? Well, there are many answers, aren't there? And if we put a blank there, you could fill it in with many, many things. And others could fill it in with many, many things, couldn't they? Some of them, we hope, or most would be true. We would question how accurate it would be if you filled it in or if somebody else said it about you. And we might also ask how important are so many of those things that you put after ye are. And I say all that to get your attention and to remind you that in reality, there are only two things that come after ye are that will inevitably be really important. A lot of things may be true and important now, but when it comes time to die or when a person is dead, again, there's only two things that follow ye are that really matter. And that simply is either you are saved or you are lost. You are either the light that Jesus spoke of here or you are darkness. And those things reflect the eternal destiny one place or the other of all humanities. So while there are many ye are's that can be supplied, we recognize and acknowledge that the Bible and the Bible alone tells us the truth about ye are. It's the only book that does that. It's the only book that is candid, not deceptive, that does not flatter us, but tells us exactly what we are. And aren't we glad that it does? As I have often said, the thing that people need to know, the thing that sinners need to know, is the truth about themselves and the truth about God. And you cannot know one 
without it revealing the other. It's like the flip side of a coin. If you know one, there's another side to it. If you know that you're a sinner, you know that there's a God. And if you know anything about God and who He is as He reveals Himself in Scripture, then you're going to know you're a sinner. The two go hand in hand. So, we are either ye are saved or ye are lost, ye are redeemed, ye are perishing. That's all that will matter in the end. But Jesus said to his disciples as he began here what we know of as the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 1, introduction to the Beatitudes, he said, ye are the light of the world. We don't have time to go into it, but we won't overlook that he said you're the salt of the earth in verse 13. Often we pray and include it in your prayer if you don't, Lord help me to be salt and light every day. That's what we're to be in this world. But we're going to deal with the light today. Ye are the light of the world. If you're a child of God today, a disciple or a believer in Christ as these disciples were, let me ask you, what is your reaction to that statement? Ye are the light of the world. Well, I pray and hope that it's one of rejoicing. I hope that it is one of praise. I hope that it causes your cup to bubble up and overflow with thankfulness when you consider that you are included in that statement as a child of God, a blood-bought child of God, you are the light of the world. And it should instill in us praise on our lips and worship in our hearts. Because we know that is only true by the saving grace of God. This is in the present tense. Ye are the light of the world. And we who are the light of the world know we have not always been the light of the world. Now we're always going to be the light of the world. Now that we are the light of the world and the children of light. But we were not always light. And that again causes us to react with praise and rejoicing when we think of our past and that we were not just in darkness, but we were darkness. I remember this point being made by a preacher many, many years ago and it's never left my mind. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, I believe he wrote an article on it in a paper. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And this was a mentor of mine, a man that I looked up to greatly, and he made this statement. You know, it occurred to him many years in ministry there, he said, the verse is not saying you, you were, it, were in darkness, but you were the darkness. I mean, that takes it further, doesn't it? That takes it deeper down to what we really would call the deadness of sin. And do not be deceived by the statement there, sometimes, meaning that, well, it wasn't all the time, it's just some of the time. You know, sometimes I was good, sometimes I was bad. No. Sometimes there refers to an element of time. It refers to past time. You would read that verse accurately if you read it, for we, ye were formerly darkness when you were lost and dead in trespasses and sins. So we were darkness, now as a believer by faith in Christ, we are light. It's the oldest principle in the Bible. The Bible begins with darkness and light. Wouldn't it? First thing God did was what? Let there be light out of nothing. 
created life. And that spiritual principle is from cover to cover in our Bibles. So we rejoice not in being darkness, not in being lost, but that we are not now what we were. We are light. And that light simply means spiritually alive. That the grace of God has taken light in our soul. It has brought light where there was darkness. And it's not a bit of difference in your soul as a believer as what we read in creation in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And there was darkness over the face of the earth, but the Spirit of God hovered over that. And then God spoke and said, let there be light. Well, that, that's a pretty good description of your soul and mine as we fell in Adam. There was nothing there spiritually. It was that type of darkness, the absence of God, the absence of spirituality. But when God the Holy Spirit quickened us and made us alive in our soul, Literally, as we say, the light came on. And I want to say to you today that, again, your light and my light, pay attention now, your light and my light, spiritual light, went out when Adam's went out. You say, I didn't exist then. No, but you were decreed to be a part of mankind by your very existence here today. And when Adam died, we died. That means when his light and Eve's light, spiritual light, went out by the transgression... All our lights went out too. And so we're born into the world, darkness and in the sin of darkness. And it is God that must relight that spiritual element in our souls. And that's what He exactly does in regeneration. And I'll, I'll give you an illustration very simple. I think most of you probably understand what I'm saying here spiritually. But you know what? It's just like if you have a furnace or a water heater that runs on gas, you have a little thing. Well, today they got electronics, but the old way, you had to have the pilot light lit, or it was never going to flame up, did it? When the pilot light goes out, you got to light it. Well, again, our pilot light was all out. Take that any way you want to, but we had no spirituality there. Dead in trespasses and sin, and we were darkness, and regeneration is God lighting that light. There's not a preacher can light it, a church can light it. There's not anything you can do to light it. In fact, your sinner doesn't want to light it. But God, by His grace, regenerates and creates light where there was none. God does it all. And I will follow that by saying, when it is lit, it will never go out. I remember as a small child when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and that funeral, and they buried him, and when they put him in the grave, they lit a little flame and said, this is, a little, this is an eternal flame. It's always going to burn on this man's grave. Uh, that just made an impression on me as a, well, about a 10-year-old child, 10 11. thought, what? Every fire I'd ever seen went out. Our fire went out, and we had to rekindle it nearly every morning, you know. But they said, it's an eternal flame. And I just remember there was something about that being an eternal fire that Stuck in my head as a kid. Well, that is exactly what happens when a person is born again and that fire is lit or that light is lit. It is never going out because it is the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. And He indwells the believer forevermore as they persevere and are preserved in 
and by Him. There's a marvelous scripture in uh, John chapter 8 and verse 12 that reflects exactly what I'm saying. I'll read it to you quickly and we'll press on. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 1246 of John also complements that. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. So again, we are that light of the world. And when we say we're the light of the world, let's, let's make this point also. The world is a spiritually dark place. It has been ever since the transgression. And just imagine that. You know, we know what it's like when it gets dark and the sun goes down right. Well, the world lieth, the Bible says, in that wickedness that we know of as sinful darkness. There is no spiritual element except the people of God and the church of God. Now only God knows where all that light is. At any point in time in human history in any generation and even today, only God knows where the light of the world is. There's a light of the world right here in this place, right here this morning, where you live where we meet to worship. That I do know. There's a lot I don't know. But let me give you an illustration. God sees it from His omniscience in this way. These phone illustrations that they, uh, advertisements they'll give on TV and they'll show a map, you know, maybe the United States, and then they'll show all these lights lit up where, you know, coverage or things like that is. Well, imagine that from God's perspective that he knows every one of his sheep, calls them by name, and wherever they're at, there's a little light there. And wherever there's one of his churches and they congregate together, there's a little bigger light there. That's literally what he's talking about. Now the illustration I would have to use when I was a kid to make this point, when there were no phones or anything like that, was what we call fireflies. Being raised in the country in rural Arkansas, I mean, not all the time, but many times in the summer when those things hatched out, you know, pitch dark, and those fireflies light up here, light up there, and then they're there, and then they're here. Some places they'd be a lot, some places there wouldn't be many. We'd catch them, of course, put them in a mason jar, just like every country kid did, till they died or we turned them loose. But again, God knows, always has, always will who the children of light are and where they are and where his churches are. And the rest of the world, folks, never forget it. Don't be deceived in thinking or minimizing the thought. The rest of the world is lying in spiritual darkness. The spiritual light that is here is in you and me and churches like this. Well, our text is, let it shine. Let it so shine. And we have just made the point of why we even have light. And now we come to the responsibility to part of letting that light shine. Light representing spiritual life. The grace of God that we have established will never go out because we are a habitation of God through the Spirit. But let your light so shine 
is implying brightness and responsibility. God lit the light. It's not going out. But how bright it burns is our responsibility. That's the point Jesus is making here. Now, you know anything that burns, burns some kind of fuel, right? I gave you the illustration while ago of a water heater and, and gas stoves and things like that that have pilots, even these lights, whether they be electric, there's a fuel source. Well, that's why our light is never going out spiritually because the fuel source is not in our control. That's God's doing. The fuel source for the child of God is, again, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So we're never going to run out of fuel. You know, I mean, in this world we run out of fuel and we have shortages and things of, of all kinds of things we've experienced, right? Well, the Christian will never have the excuse of saying, well, my light's burning dim because I just don't have any fuel. No, that, that's not going to fly. You have in you the Holy Spirit. You have free access in America to the Word of God. And that is an inexhaustible fuel source. And that is what our lights burn on. That's what we run on. Is God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and His Word. Now, just like an automobile, the maintenance of that light is ours. Remember the Old Testament when they lit the lamps and the candle stand, the priest did in the in the holy place and all, they had to daily maintain that, didn't they? When something burns, it gives off refuse or ash or something, right? And new fuel has to be put in it. There was daily maintenance. And so it is with anything. Electricity's not free. Fires don't start themselves. Wood don't come and jump on the fire. It's a maintenance process, isn't it? And that responsibility comes to us. So let's use that analogy or example of like a lamp burning fuel in that regard. And since we didn't have the type of lamps they did with a candlestick in old times, a little, a little holder there with oil in it and, and a rag or some type of linen sticking up, we probably are all more familiar with the oil lamps where you had oil in there and a wick that stuck up out of there, you know, and we had a globe on it. Pretty fancy compared to what they had in old days. But even that required maintenance, didn't it? That wick just wouldn't roll itself up. And that fuel in there just wouldn't replace itself all its own, did it? I mean, the longer it burned, what happened? The dimmer it got. It would run down. It required maintenance. And you might remember from the parable of the virgins in Matthew 25 about the wise virgins when they heard the bridegroom was coming. What did they do? They rose up and the scripture says trim their lamps. Alright? Why would they do that? So they'd have a bright light. What did they have to do to make that happen? Well again, whatever kind of lamps they had there was something burning. May have just been a rag in some oil sticking above it. But that that burned off, again, created some type of ash that if it accumulated, would dim the flame. You get rid of that ash and make sure it's got plenty of fuel, you got a bright light. That is what we're to do. Let your light so shine. 
And I don't have time to go into it, but you know the Bible is full of things in the New Testament that tells us as New Testament believers things we need to get rid of. Trimming. Most of them are in here. You know, some things are out here. A lot of them are in here. We need to trim things. There's things we need to get rid of. We need to get rid of the old man's habits, the old man's desires, the old man's wants. We need to get rid of a materialistic attitude of wanting to accumulate things, buy things, get things, things like that. Things to get rid of, and yet at the same time, things to add, refuel, refresh, renewed daily by what? The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And of course, going back to the analogy of the oil lamp, it's a blessing to have an oil lamp or any kind of light that had a nice glass globe on it, right? I mean, that enhanced the light, protected the light. But guess what happens to those glass globes? They get dark and they get smutty, don't they? They need to be taken off and cleaned. So there's a constant maintenance process here if the light is going to shine brightly in that regard. And so, again, trimming those lights in that regard. Let me uh, turn with me to uh, a scripture in 1 Timothy 2.9, okay? Now, I want to quickly, I'm going to deviate just a little bit here on that. Uh, what that word trimming means that I mentioned from the virgins in Matthew 25. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Read this. Familiar, I'm sure, to you. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly rake, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. That word adorn in verse 9 there, that's the same word as trim in Matthew 25 and 7. So when you trim a light, you have arranged it or done something to it to put it in and maintain a good working order. Adorn. This is talking about the outward adorning of the woman and that it should be the adorning within, not the adorning without. So it's having things arranged and in proper order spiritually in our relationship and our fellowship with God. In fact, Titus 2.10 says the same thing. Just a few pages over. Not purloning, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That proper order, priority, maintained in that regard. Now the text also says that let our light so shine and it gives two examples Jesus does here about how it is not to be hidden, how it is not to be dim, how it is not to be obscure, but is to shine forth brightly because he uses the illustration in our text in Matthew 5 about a city set on a hill, plain view can be seen from all directions. It's on a high place. And also a candle, that when a candle is lit, you don't put a covering over it. You want it to shine forth as brightly, broadly as possible. Why do you want to do that? Well, like the candlestick, the Lord said in verse 15, because it gives light to everybody that's in the house. 
So our light is not to be hidden or obscure or dimmed in any way. What does that mean? That means this idea of sitting like a monk someplace in some isolated places for the birds. The Bible doesn't teach that. God didn't save you for you to be isolated. No. We got it back there over the door. The Great Commission. Go ye. Okay? So, so this light is meant to be shared and spread, not contained and isolated. Now, I must pause here to say, sadly, I mention this because there seems to be a lot of Christians today that dismiss that. In a day of modern technology, we got people that'll stay at home, claim to be a Christian, and say, I can worship God at home just as much as I can down at the church building with God. No, you can't. I don't care what kind of technology you got. Well, I can drive by like McDonald's and take communion. You may do it, but <laughs> that's not the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is assembling with the people of God, and so forth and so on. So, again, uh, you know. This isolation thing or thinking that that's being very pious and very spiritual is that's of the devil. That's not, that's not of God. Our light is to shine forth, shine abroad. Literally affect other people. Let it so shine. Not just be lit up, but so shine. And where is it supposed to shine? Just you and God in your closet? No, that's where you go pray, but your light's supposed to be shining wherever you are. Wherever you go, you take light, spiritual influence with you. And the Bible makes it plain. Christ makes it plain. Before men. Before men. Before men who are living in darkness. And not just men, men, women, boys and girls. They're in spiritual darkness. They're lost. They're dead in trespasses and sin. They're perishing. Their only hope is the light that you and I bear. Take it before them. And again, whether it's in word or whether it's in deed, take it before them. I again love what somebody said years ago. I don't remember who, when, where, what, but I've loved it. I latched on to it. Preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words. Meaning we live it just like we tell it, do we not? In fact, it is ultimate hypocrisy to tell it if you're not living it. Prove it. So we take our light before men, out into the world, into the darkness, and I must say here also there should be a clear distinction between the light and the dark. But today we've got Christians who claim to be light, you can't tell them from those that are sitting in the darkness. It's a pathetic disgrace. I mean, I can remember growing up as a kid, and even the church I went to, and I mean, there was God's people and there were sinners. And today it's such a mingled mass of grace. Like I said, you just scratch your head. It ought not be so, folks. Your testimony ought to be as clear and distinct as light in darkness. And so should mine. And we take that light, meaning our life, our example, our testimony, our conversation, our behavior, our actions, our do's and our don'ts, before who? Men. Members of our family, members of our community, people on the workplace, 
where our activities take us, wherever we visit, wherever we providentially end up, we're bearing a light. Just like Gideon. Except don't carry it in a pitcher. Let it shine. Let it shine, why? That they may see. They can't see if we don't set it before them. Like the candlestick in the house, they need light. They need guidance. They don't know the way they're going. They're in darkness, spiritual darkness. And it is the light of the gospel and your obedience to it and that is living in you that we set before men. We can't light them up, but we can set the light before them. God must light their light. God must quicken them. But setting our light before them is to show them the way and to show them distinctly there's a difference. There's something about him. There's something about her. There's something different. There, there's, people ought to be able to see that. Those kind of comments ought to be made. You may not hear them to a year, but they ought to be thinking them if we're living like we're supposed to. That they may see what? Your good works, Jesus said. Now, this is not to compliment or flatter you or I. In fact, chapter 6 and verse 1 makes that very clear. Just turn over a page. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father in heaven. We're not to do anything to be seen of men or receive flattery or applause or platitudes from men. We do what we do to the glory of God. That should always be our motive. But folks, we're to have good works, are we not? not? Not to brag and strut around like the Pharisees and say, look at me and look what I've done and look what I'm doing. No, but to say, look at what the grace of God has done for me, in me, and is continuing to do. That's what we're talking about. In fact, it is that transformation that is the proof of our faith. James said it. If you don't have works, don't talk to me about your faith. You know, if we applied the principle of James today in a, in a straight down the line scenario, we're going to eliminate the biggest part of people that call themselves Christians. And we didn't eliminate them. They eliminated themselves because they don't have no works. No works. When they go to church, when they pray, when they read their Bible, when they do what the Bible says, when they don't do sin and all these others, I mean, not many people qualify today, sadly. But that's the same sad place we live in today, isn't it, that people have a form of godliness, but there's no real power there. If the power goes off, these lights are going out. You see the connection? That's, that's what he's talking about. No power of the Holy Spirit, not being born again. It's just a form. It's a reform, not a transform. And you know what I've always said here? You can reform. Somebody can reform you. A church can reform you. Or whatever, but only God by His grace transforms. The one never lasts, the other lasts forever. That they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now this could be rather misleading. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about sinners in the world that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, let's get it straight from the get-and-go, okay? Everything is here, that is here, to bring glory to God. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. He created all things for His glory, and everything will give Him glory, even the wicked in judgment. 
The great aim of life is to glorify God. What is man's purpose? Glorify God. What are angels here? Glorify God. Why is the creation here? Glorify God. Why is the galaxies there? Glorify God. Why is the microorganisms there? Glorify God. And they all do and they all will. Sinners can't glorify God. A lost sinner cannot glorify God. A sinner who is dead in trespasses and sin can't glorify God. And I'm not talking about your neighbor or a family member looking at you and saying, well, man, you're really living for the Lord. Praise God. We're not talking about that. We don't, we're not giving kudos to people that acknowledge God because they see you doing something good. That's not what we're talking They can't glorify God. If you're lost, you can't glorify God. A person that dies lost will glorify God in one way, and that's by God eternally judging them and condemning them to eternal torment. They'll glorify God. The flames of hell will glorify God throughout all eternity. Well then, what does this mean? That they may glorify God in heaven. Well, to emphasize that point before I press off, let me read you one scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 is a reminder of this. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The sinner must have faith that God is, that God is who He says He is in this Bible, that He's done what He's said He's done, that He's doing what He says He's doing, and He's going to do what He's going to do. And that's what brings about conviction and conversion. That's faith in God. So, the sinner without faith cannot glorify God. You either got faith, you don't have faith. If you have faith, you're a believer. Your destiny is in heaven. If you don't have faith, your destiny is going to be in hell. I mean, there's no other way to cut it. You, no matter how you shake it up, shuffle it, that's what it comes down to. The bottom line is, in order for them to see our good works and glorify God, God must use this testimony, this light that we shine before them to cause them to be born again. To bring them to repentance and faith in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 kind of sums that up, I believe. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified. And how is God glorified? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. People go to all kinds of buildings, sanctuaries, and quote-unquote holy places where the name of Jesus Christ is never mentioned and they think they're glorifying God by what they do, what they say, rituals, ceremonies, or what have you. You can't glorify God except through Christ. You must believe in Christ. There's only access to God through Christ. No other way. And then sadly, the converse is also true. There are a lot of people assembling in a lot of places and doing a lot of things in the name of Christ that have never been born again and are without faith, and they think they're glorifying God, and they're not either. 
If you're lost and putting money in that box, it's not glorifying God. If you're lost and you come to church but you don't believe the gospel, you're still not glorifying God. God's not going to chalk it up someday and say, well, you went to church 42 times, so you glorified me in some way. No, you didn't glorify God at all. You rejected the gospel and His Son. And the only way to qualify to glorify God is to believe in God, and to believe in God is to believe the gospel in Jesus Christ. So, except you be born again... I'll say you cannot glorify God. So this means that we are to be the means by which God saves sinners. Go you know all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That they may see who God is. That they may see the difference God has made in you. And a lot of people do that. You know a lot of people have come to Christ from just that. They have known somebody and they have seen the amazing transformation that God has made in some wicked person. What they were, what they've become in Christ. And God uses that to say, well, there really is a difference. Wow, it's just not just a bunch of religion stuff. I mean, that person, I knew them and there's this, 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 and now. They're this, this, and this. God reveals Himself through such. Let's conclude. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We again rejoice that we can be included and called the children of light because it's all by His grace. It was His light that lit our light and it is His grace that sustains that light and it's all just like we're the moon and He's the sun, right? I mean, the sun has a source for light. The moon has no source. We have no source of our own. We reflect His light. Christ is the light of the world. Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. A light that is His, but is reflected and should be reflected in everything we say and do throughout our lives. We're going to be judged as believers on our stewardship of how we let our light shine. How did it burn before men? Were we very good stewards as far as trimming and maintaining it? Or did we neglect it and grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Even as the Scripture says, quench the Spirit of God. Keeping that light suppressed. We'll be judged for all that. And our light is to burn before men that others again may see the distinction, may see the difference, may see the testimony, may literally see Christ in us. Christ in us. And let me make a very important point right here at the last, okay? Get this if you get nothing else. When people look at us, they should see Christ and not you and not me. Let me give you an example, can I? Think about a bright light. I don't care what kind of light it is. I don't care if it's a bright headlight, a welding arc, whatever it is. The brightest light that you can think of prevents you 
from seeing the source of that light. You can't tell where it's coming from. If it's bright, it's just a bright light. Am I, you get what I'm saying? However, if a light is burning dim, you can always see the source, can't you? That shouldn't be us, folks. May God, by His grace, fuel us and may we be diligent in the maintenance of our spiritual relationship with our Lord that our light would be bright enough that others would see Him and not see us. That they'd not see the Lamb, but they'd see the light. Oh, to God be the glory that that happened. And pray that others may see Christ in us. Verse of Scripture as we close is repeated four times in the Psalms 107. Oh, that men would pray the Lord, praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. How are they going to praise Him for that if they don't see us doing it? How are they going to praise Him whom they do not know if they do not see Him in us? Oh, may God light us today a, a fire of revival in our souls if we need it today. I don't know your needs. We should always, though, be examining our light that it may shine before men to His glory and perhaps to the salvation of sinners.